Life is full of these desperate situations, times when it feels like there's no way out. There's the minor kind. Once when I was eight, I think, I was in a park somewhere in Victoria Point, and I tried to dig a hole under the playground, and I wanted to squeeze under the foundations. And long story short, I I got my head in, and then it didn't come back out again. And... uh, I tell you what, the panic tends to set in really quickly when you think you're going to live underneath the playground for the rest of your life. Uh, Good thing my brother came and helped dig me out. But there's times when it's more dangerous, when the way out isn't quite so clear. Before I started studying in ministry, I, I worked for a few years as a social worker. I saw what it means to feel really desperate chronic mental health, feeling trapped and alone. Even on the good days, my clients knew a bad one was just around the corner. And it's impossible to escape because it's in your own head. And they just wanted to scream, how am I going to get out of this? Now, not all of us experience mental health issues, but we all know what it's like to feel trapped and desperate and alone, don't we? That same feeling when you have a relationship that's been broken beyond repair, or a sickness that just won't get better, or death, when grief sets in and there's no way to undo it. I'm sure that there's something that all of you are thinking of right now. And Psalm 110 speaks to a people who feel the same way. They feel trapped. They think there's no way out. But this song, it tells them that there there is. There is a way out. Maybe that wasn't so obvious when we read it, with all the judging of nations and God doing battle and that sort of thing. It might actually strike you as really scary, See, to modern ears, this stuff can feel really harsh, but to an ancient Israelite, psalms like this bring great comfort. This psalm, it's of David's time, and there are two books in the Old Testament called Samuel that can tell us what it was like for people in this era. Israel is surrounded at every border by enemies. To the common Israelite, facing death was just a daily reality. Other kingdoms, they've got these far larger armies than Israel. They're known for how they delight in violence. They press in and threaten to demolish your way of life. The Philistines had previously relished in removing the head of your king and took it home as a prize of war. The Amalekites came in from the south and burnt down a city and took your friends and relatives away in captivity. The Ammonites and the Aramean armies continue to attack. And within the borders of Israel, things seem hardly better. The the dust from perhaps Israel's darkest day up until this point is still settling. The tribe of Benjamin was all but wiped from the map. God promised rest to the people of Israel, and this seems like anything but... If you're an Israelite, you're probably questioning if God is really going to keep his promises. You're just wanting to scream, how am I going to get out of this? What do you need when it seems like there's no way out? 
not a gentle hand or a kiss on the forehead. You need a warrior, a conquering king who will say, yes, God is going to keep his promises. I'm going to get you out of this. Psalm 110 is going to show us this hero. We're going to see three characteristics in this psalm, these three big things to look out for in this hero. First, he's going to draw his power from God. Have a look at verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David says, somebody's coming, somebody greater than me, somebody who will take all of these things away. And notice what makes him so powerful. The Lord, that is Yahweh, if it's written in capitals in your Bible, is on his side. In fact, God is so intimately on his side that the hero sits enthroned in heaven at the right hand of God. This great hero is going to win the victory to completely humiliate these enemies, to put them as a footstool at his feet. But it's because God empowers him to do so. God is going to make it happen. Just as a king was always supposed to from the very beginning, this king will fully rely on his intimate relationship with God, and that will secure his victory. See, if you're in a fight, you want the biggest guy backing you up. And no matter who you're up against, God is bigger. No matter what challenge we face in our lives, nothing will ever be bigger, more powerful, or even comparable to God. And here's the hero we're promised. He's empowered by God. The second characteristic is this hero is going to be a king. A king in the line of David. David promises that somebody from his line, ruling from Zion, the city of David, is going to be king. Not just over Israel, but for all over all the enemies of Israel too. These great violent nations that press in from all sides are going to be bowing down to this king. When you feel completely hopeless and feel like there's no way out, that promise is wonderful. Somebody's going to fix this. Verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. So there's point two, this hero will be a king, somebody from David's line. And what is a king without his subjects? He's going to have these people backing him up, honouring his kingship, and it's going to be beautiful. David gives this imagery of mourning dew, this multitude of people arrayed in holy splendour, so confident in this king's victory that they jump at the chance to go into battle with him. Because God is on his side. So first, he's empowered by God, and second... He's a king. But third, he's also a priest. He's going to be so devoted in his relationship with God, he's going to be like a priest. This coming king will be in the order of Melchizedek. And you might remember the story. Uh, it shows up in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings. Abram rescues Lot, and these warring kings come out to meet him in the fields. One of them is Melchizedek. 
And he's particularly strange because he's a king, but also a priest. He fights for his people, but he's totally devoted to God, holy, pure, dedicated. He doesn't serve himself. He lives to serve God. And the one little line he gets in this narrative, he talks about God delivering Abram in battle. So he's one character that we can look back on and see as a model for this coming king. God's made a promise that this is what the king will be like, a God-honoring king, a priestly king. He will be a priest. Verse 4, the Lord was sworn, has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So one, he's a warrior who has God's power. Two, a Davidic king. And three, a priest who fully relies on God for his victory. Plus, this hero is definitely going to win. Remember that this violent imagery, though it seems harsh to us, means decisive victory. He will absolutely and definitively conquer his enemies. All that you're worried about as an Israelite, all that keeps you sleep, causes you sleepless nights and makes you want to scream, how am I going to get out of this? It's all dealt with by this glorious hero. The king will come and trample everything that wants to destroy you. He will protect you. On the day of his wrath, those nations, those leaders and kings you feared before will be heaped up in front of him. Because in his good world, empires like that do not stand. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. And I love the image at verse 7, this general, a hero who keeps moving through it all. He doesn't stop to pitch a tent or make camp, but just takes a drink from a brook and keeps moving his head held high. He almost sounds like an action hero here. So there you have it. This is the picture of our hero, a God-empowered warrior, a great king, and a God-honoring priest. Imagine singing this song as an Israelite, the hope that you would feel as you waited for the day that this hero would come and triumphantly fix everything. And then years later, the Assyrians come. You're looking for a king like this, but he doesn't show up. The Babylonians are standing at the gates of Jerusalem, and the people are longing for the king God promised, but he's nowhere in sight. And then centuries later, along comes Jesus. This hero who has God's power, who is a king from David's line and honors God so much that he's a priest, it's Jesus. But you may be asking, and many have before, what? Does Jesus really fit this picture? He certainly didn't charter any wars or kill any Philistines. He embraced weakness as the pinnacle of his ministry. How could Jesus be this, or the one this psalm refers to? But Jesus hits all these major points. He's holy man and holy God as well. So he certainly got God's power. 
He's born into the line of David, so he has a right to kingship by birth. The Gospels, especially the beginning of Matthew, use this fact to show that Jesus is the rightful king. And he enacts his position as a priest as he completely defers to God in all that he does. So what happens to this promise? Where is this victory he was supposed to secure? Why wasn't Jesus a conquering general? Well, it's because he knew the true enemy. Human weakness, our rebellion against God, sin. Sin is the true enemy. And the truth is that if it weren't for sin, none of these, evil, these tyrant kings would have risen to power. None of these wars would ever have occurred. Israel would be safe. And for us too, our minds and bodies wouldn't be warped by the curse. Our relationships wouldn't be torn apart by it. And we wouldn't die. But Jesus, in all his glory, trusted God fully and secured our victory at the cross. And he did defeat these great nations and kings. We see in Acts 4.27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And yet it was nothing for him. He continued in his mission against the true enemy, unrelenting, not stopping to pitch a tent along the way, And we see he trusted God fully, even in his darkest hour, as he pleaded for escape. He said, yet not as I will, but as you will. This king who trusted God, even to the point of his own death, to secure victory for his people. And so, even though many in the ancient world would have seen the cross as a great shame, as a defeat we can see it for what it really is. Christ, with his enemies at his feet, piles of bodies, human brokenness and rebellion, all the suffering we cause each other, defeated around him. See, while Israel needed to wait, clinging to the hope that this king would one day secure them victory, we live in the knowledge that he already has And so when we feel surrounded, when we just want to scream and cry out, God, how am I going to get out of this? We can rest. We can be comforted in the knowledge that the true king has already come, has already won, and will return in his time to finish the job. As Revelation 19 says, he'll be on a white horse with eyes like blazing fire. He'll destroy those enemy nations. A great victory for our hero. So what is the thing that you thought of at the beginning? Think back to that situation that made you feel so desperate. Or perhaps you're in the midst of that time right now. Psalm 110 will help you feel comforted by this truth. Jesus already won the victory. The hero came and killed that thing. Its power is gone. 
completely. I remember one client I had, he was trapped by schizophrenia. No matter how well he was traveling today, we didn't know what he'd be like tomorrow. Sometimes it tears us for days or even weeks. And I couldn't guarantee him an end. There's no treatment that was sure to free his mind from that prison. But here's the promise I longed to hold out to him. Jesus defeated every sickness, every weakness of our mind. It's, a guarantee, it's all guaranteed to end in the new creation. Because Jesus already defeated sin on the cross. Suffering will still happen, at least for a time, but our hero will return, and that's a guarantee, because he already won. When we need to scream, how am I going to get out of this? The answer is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your Son to save us, from all the suffering that we cause each other. Thank you that we can be secure in the knowledge that we are part of your family because of him, and that one day all suffering will end. Amen. Three quick announcements, um, just to let you know.